Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. We like to have fun around here. And, and to our Prosper campus, we love my get over it. Don't send me an email saying how rude that was. Uh, he deserves every bit of hard time we give him. Hey, uh, how are you feeling today? Feeling good? And I'm so glad you look good. You look good. Um, excited. Listen, I've been waiting for this day for months. Um, we start a new series today. And, and uh, if you're just now joining us online or at one of our campuses for the first time or here, so glad you're with us. So glad you came today. Um, a new series we're calling Confessions. And there are a variety of things that if you and I were hooked to a lie detector test that we may get nervous about uh, answering some of those questions like, like with our marriage or maybe with sin issues or maybe doubting God or, or whatever. There's a variety of things about your past that we could you know, hook you up and ask and it would be very nerve-wracking. Well, in this series, what we'd like to do is not just try to dig up you know, all the crazy stuff in our lives, but deal with some of the things that we have hard times with living out in the Christian life and and how can we come alongside each other and the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, helping us, transforming us, and and getting healthy. And today, we uh, start with some confessions that I think are probably, in our culture, uh, probably the most epidemic level that I've ever seen in my life. And uh, and I want to we want to deal with that. We want to hit it, hit the ground running, and just say, "Hey, you are not alone. God is with you. We're with you." And and in one of my confessions in this whole thing, and I know this will come as a shock to a lot of you. I don't know everything, and I know that's weird, right? Because I typically think, look look like I know everything, right? But I don't, and, and I don't know what we're going to talk about today. I've never walked this road, so I'm smart enough to know that when I could give you some scriptural answers and I could give you some, some thoughts about what I think, but when somebody else has walked this road and is walking this road, it's going to help you, it's going to help me, it's going to help all of us help each other. And today's topic is anxiety, uh, depression. And many of us, uh, we have at least ourselves or someone in our family who is currently dealing with some kind of overwhelming sense of anxiety, depression, hopelessness, discouragement. What do we do? And one of the last things in the world that we need as a church to do is just say, well, read your Bible more. Or you should pray more. You should have enough faith. That's the most damaging thing I think we could say. Not that those things are wrong in and of themselves, but, but that's not how we tackle this issue. And so today, I have been waiting for this. Uh, a new friend. Uh, a few months ago, I was in a big meeting, and well, some of my dear friends were there. And, and I met Toby Slough, the founding pastor of Cross Timbers Church in Argyle, Texas. And he shared with the group, you know, something what God is doing in his life in this next season of his life after pastoring this church. And it's an awesome church. And we started on the very same day, January 9th, 2000. Both Hope and Cross Timbers started the same day. And, and, and now I feel like I've, I've, I've found my long lost brother, you know, because, man, 
at dinner last night, meeting them in, in that meeting a few months ago. I, I love them, and I know you're going to love them. But for the last 30 years, he's walked this road, and he's got some things to say, and I promise you this, I promise you this, if you'll ask God to open your heart, God's going to speak to you. You are going to be blessed. So I want you to open your hearts, and I want you to welcome our new friend, Toby Slough, as he comes to share his story and the Word of God. Thank you so much. Thank you. I didn't say, I haven't said this all weekend because everybody expects me to say it, but I'm going to tell you something. I love your pastor. Uh, when you find a pure-hearted, Jesus-seeking man's man like John McKenzie, you have found a friend. I have this need, whether you're in Frisco. By the way, I can see you. I have a power John does not possess, so stay away. Uh, when I do something like this, I, have, I feel this need to give you a little context of who I am. Um, I want us to be friends. And so I need to spend a moment helping you understand who I am. And I learned a few years ago the best way to do that is, and try this, by the way, at your next dinner party. Have everyone tell a short story, short, that they think from their life that they think clearly defines who they are and what their life is all about. So my story that I would share if I was sitting around the table with you came in 1972 in a little town in South Texas called Angleton, Texas, 15 minutes from the beach. This is my hometown. It's where I grew up. I was eight years old in 1972. My father was a high school uh, coach. My mother was an elementary school math teacher, which meant we had no money. Uh, And so... What we did for entertainment in the summer is we did two things. We went and paid 50 cents to park at the Astrodome in Houston, Texas, took our own peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and sat for a dollar a piece out in the general admission seats of the outfield and watched the Astros lose over and over again. And we went to the beach. We went to the beach like you went to the park. The beach was a part of our life. And on this particular day, I was eight years old, 1972, eight and a half when In May of that year, my parents sat around a table after dinner one night, and my mom began to tear, began to run down my mom's face, and dad was talking to her, and I asked dad what was wrong, and he said, well, we had a family friend, he told me his name, he he drowned at the beach today, Toby, we just heard. And I said, what was he doing? He said he was surf fishing. I said, dad, how does somebody die surf fishing at the beach? Because I knew that people who fished at the beach, they we're in water up to their knees. And that's where my dad first began to explain the principle of an undertow to me. And that the water, the, the ground under the water is not level. And if you step in a hole or an uneven place and fall over, the undertow can sweep you places you'd never want to go. And he, dad said, sometimes I don't find your body for days. And so my father, who's this coach, and my dad looks at me and says, son, look at me. This is why you always have to be careful at the beach. Now go to bed. And I went to bed, and now I'm a little boy who, I don't know how God wired you, but I was and am an overthinker, right? I just start thinking about things. I'm lying there. This thought comes to me, just a thought. What if I drowned at the beach? I wonder if they find my body. If they find my body, I wonder 
what my funeral would be like. I wonder who would come, who would be sad. Now, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? Like, you go in the direction of your thoughts. I didn't know it at the moment. I'm just being a little kid who's wired up to think too much. Until, and you know that if you think that way long enough about what could happen, guess what happens? You decide it's going to happen. And I'm laying there, eight years old, tears running down my face, saying, please, God, don't let me drown. Please, God, don't let me drown. That's how I fell asleep that night. I had no idea that that would be the prayer that I would pray the most over the next 51 years of my life. Please, God, don't let me drown. Not literally drowning in water, although since that day I've never been in past my ankles in the ocean. It's very irrational and very real to me. I'm talking about 30 years ago being diagnosed with an acute anxiety and panic disorder. Now, for the next generation, I need you to understand, 30 years ago, I had never heard the word depression. I never heard the word anxiety. I didn't know anybody that went to a counselor. I didn't know what a counselor did. The only word I'd ever heard was a nervous breakdown, and it was my great uncle who evidently got naked, walked down the middle of town, and told everybody he was Jesus. I wanted no part of that. True. And for those of you who are like John, and God bless John for admitting the fact that he's never been here, but he wants to help. For those of you who are like John, it feels like you're drowning. This wave begins to come. You can't stop it. You just kind of kind of ride it out, but it feels like you're drowning. This is the heart cry of our nation. I mean, until we can find solution, let's, let's don't over-spiritualize or generalize away the facts. People are drowning. Our kids are drowning. 66% of the kids, well, 30, it was 34% pre-pandemic kids who are exhibiting symptoms of anxiety, depression, are generally feeling overwhelmed by life. Post-pandemic, it went to 64%. And the latest statistics say in the 70 percentile, 500 adolescents a day are being admitted to hospitals in this nation for mental health issues. And the American Medical Association came out two years ago and said, two months ago and said that the, for the first time in our nation's history, emotional health issues have topped physical health issues among the next generation. Please, God, don't let me drown. I think the saddest part for me is that I meet people all the time who believe drowning is their destiny. <laughs> that this is just what life is going to be for the rest of their life. And the best we can offer in today's culture are fidget spinners and weighted blankets. 
I'm not against fidget spinners. I have one on this hand. I'm not against weighted blankets. I don't get them, but I'm not against them. But can we all agree that's a temporary fix? I think Jesus offers something better. And I think most of us don't understand what Jesus is offering. Let me say that one more time. I think Jesus offers us something better, but most of us don't understand what Jesus is offering. Jesus offers you and I freedom. But freedom is not the absence of something. It is the presence of someone in the midst of the something that we're experiencing. So like if you came today and you're like, I just need that dude to give me three steps to never be anxious again. You, you probably don't want to go beat the Baptist to Luby's or wherever you can do for lunch. Because uh, that's not me. I am free. And I experienced anxiety and panic. Because over a 30-year period, God has taught me what freedom really is. And how to connect into his power even in those moments. Takes, I feel like I just need to say this because you don't know me. I know what I'm talking about because I've lived it. I am living it. Uh, And something has to change. We have to change. We as well-intentioned people have got to do everything we can do to eradicate shame on people that battle these issues. So let me kind of just make a confession today. Be okay with everybody? Say yes, because I'm going to. My name is Toby. I love Jesus with all my heart. I love the Bible, believe it's all true, have given my life to studying it and teaching it to the best of my ability. I am filled with God's Holy Spirit. The best way I know how I walk by faith, and I battle anxiety and panic. And my problem is not my anxiety. My problem is I am vulnerable to the greatest work of the enemy when I'm in the middle of it. The Holy Spirit knew what he was doing when through the writer's pen, he said that there is a, you have an enemy, he prowls like a roaring lion. How do lions hunt? They isolate you from the rest of the pack. Shame brings isolation to many of us who deal with these issues. When we get isolated, the little voice in our ear that is not giving us our highlights and telling us how awesome we are, that little voice in our ear, it gets louder and louder and louder. And like that little eight-year-old boy, me, lying in bed, like our isolation leads to firing up of our imagination. It's always worst case scenario. And at some point, 
at least a resignation. I'll just give up. This is as good as it's going to get. And Jesus came to eradicate shame and to give us a power beyond ourselves so that we could live free. Not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. You with me, everybody? Can I just tell you the three biggest lies I fight since we're just confessing today? I'm 59 years old. I've been married 37 years. I have two adult children who married two unbelievable people. Uh, I have five grandchildren. Uh, I, have, uh, I have a wonderful life, and yet I still battle these lies on a regular basis. People say to me all the time, well, what are you anxious about? What's well, a disorder? I make stuff up. I don't know. That doesn't have to be reality. Y'all with me? Like anxiety is not worry and depression is not sadness. Quit throwing Bible verses at people. A lot of times I forget that if you know the truth, the truth sets you. But a lie believed has the same power to keep you in captivity and to hurt you that a a truth has to set you free. Sometimes I think that uh, there's something wrong with God. That's the first lie I believe sometimes. I just think, well, God, you ought to do it this way. If you're really who you say you are here, you ought to do it this way. Sometimes I think that the God of the Bible is true for everybody else but me. Any of you ever felt like your prayers didn't get past the ceiling? Raise your hand, please. Two hands if you're charismatic. How many of you feel like you're praying? That's because you think that God lives way out there. Your perspective is God lives way out there. Jesus said he brought the kingdom near. God is very close. Yeah, but it doesn't feel that way. Well, you ought to feel your feelings. It's dysfunctional to shove your feelings under the carpet, act like they're not there. But it's... It's ridiculous to let your feelings be the steering wheel for your reality of life. Like your feelings will take you in the ditch. I literally have people say to me, well, I know God doesn't want me to be married because it's so hard. That's dumb. It's hard because they're married to you. What are you talking about? (laughs) And we have this conception (laughs) that when bad things are happening, somehow God must be distant. But when good things are happening, oh, praise the Lord, God is close. It drives me crazy to hear people say, John, to good news, God is good. He is good. Nobody says God is good when the news is bad. He's still good. You go, where do you get that from? The Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get convicted, tried and convicted, and sentenced to death in an oven. They did not go, watch this, guys. We're going to be in the Bible someday. It's awesome. They begged God to not make them go in there. Did God save them from the fire or in the fire? In the fire. Next chapter, Daniel is more afraid of not praying than he is of lions. And you know he asked God, please deliver me. God delivered him in the pit, not, not from the pit. This will make you uncomfortable if you're a Christian. At least my experience has been we have no issue with God's deity. It's his humanity 
in Jesus that we have a hard time with. Jesus in the garden, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Hey, guys, would you stay with me? Hey, man, look at me. Jesus needed somebody when times are tough. Well, how come you think you can do it on your own? See him face first in the dirt saying, God, don't make me do this. We jump to not my will, but your will be done because it makes us feel better. But we all have laid face first in the dirt asking God to do one thing. And he made us do it anyway. And on the cross, so much pain. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever prayed that prayer? I have. God, where are you? I laid on the floor in Keller, Texas. My heart beating out of my chest, sweat running down my face. My hands, I mean, I'm Ted Lasso. I mean, I'm just, I'm jiggling. And I can't make it stop. And God was silent. But it doesn't mean he wasn't there. His ways aren't my ways. He doesn't do it the way I would do it, but it does not mean he's not there, even when I can't see it. He's working. I don't have to explain why God has brought pain into your life. I need a God who's bigger than I can explain. I just know he's at work and that he loves me. But the other lie, second lie I fight sometimes, honestly, is not... There's something wrong with God. I'm, I just get convinced that there must be something wrong with me. <laughs> right? So if I just prayed harder, if I just read the Bible more, if I just held my mouth right, if I just fasted seven days a week, I mean, if I was just more holy, maybe it would make me exempt. There's, it's got to be me, right? Anybody else feel that way sometimes? And I especially feel that way sometimes when what the Bible says about me and how I feel about me aren't the same. In the spirit of confession, can I tell you something? I love the verse that I am more than a conqueror. I just don't like conquering stuff. I love the truth that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I just don't want it to be so depleted. I need his strength because it makes me feel weak. And I want the stuff I got to get over to be stuff I tell you about in my past, not what happened to me yesterday. <laughs> People don't understand the difference between authenticity and vulnerability. Authenticity is here's what I used to struggle with. Vulnerability is I'm still struggling. And if I were to ask you, if we could sit down and have dinner, and I ask you, tell me what your life verse is. I've asked this question in enough groups around the country lately. I can get it down to about five. It's more than conquerors. Nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. All really awesome verses. People just don't realize you don't get to pick your life verse. Your life verse picks you. Right? Like my, I would have never picked 2 Corinthians 12 to be my life verse. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said, because of these increasingly great revelations that have been given to me, which is a whole message I'm sure Pastor John will do for you sometime, 
He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Just quickly, be careful what you ask for, you might get it. He got these revelations because he wanted to know God more, and God looked at him and said, hey, man, this is going to make you prideful. (laughs) My Bible says God opposes the proud. He lines up against the proud. He said, so, like, he was doing me a favor. It didn't feel like at the moment. But he, he allowed, he sent, who cares if you have it? Why would we fight that? A thorn in the flesh. He, none of us know what the thorn was. I think God did it on purpose because he wants you to see you in the picture. I'm convinced it was anxiety. Because sometimes those attacks make me feel tormented. And it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take them away from me. Think about it. The greatest missionary this side of the cross, the one who wrote most of the New Testament, the reason that all of us get to sit in here today, the original church planter says, God, I need one thing from you. And I'm asking you over and over again. And God said, no. I mean, you want to put that on a coffee cup or a poster? Like, this is your theme verse? What I wanted the most, God said, no. Why? Why? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. God said, no, I'm not going to use your highlights. I'm going to use your lowlights. It's pretty convicting to me in a culture where we do everything we can to hide our weaknesses. Paul says, not only am I going to talk about them, I'm going to boast about them because if you think less of me, you're going to think more of God. You're going to look at me and go, well, only God could do that. Does that make sense to everybody? Like Paul's thorn in the flesh was a part of God's plan for his life, and it didn't change who he was. There's nothing wrong with God, and there's nothing wrong with you, even when you can't see it. He's working. And even when your condition of feeling like you're losing doesn't match your position as a conqueror, who God says you are wins out over where you are in the moment. Does that make sense to everybody? That's the battle to find freedom in the midst of these issues. Uh, For me, Thirty years ago, I woke up one night and sat straight up in my bed. I had a wonderful wife. I was pastoring a church that was growing exponentially. I had two beautiful little kids. I sat up in the bed. My hands were shaking. My breath was coming fast, and I was sweating. Now, in today's world, you'd all go, "That's a panic attack." I had no. I never heard the word panic attack. Uh, my wife is in full rim before her head is fully compressed in the pillow. I love her, but hate that about her. Uh, she's dead asleep. I sit up and I'm wondering what's happening to me, but I'm a guy. I get up and I start walking the hall of my house. I just walk it off, right? I walk for an hour. I'd lay down on the floor, my little sunken living room. I had a little eight-track player and I'd play Mercy Came A-Running by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Eight tracks were these little things on a tape that we used to use. And just beg God to do something. 
And I'd lay there as long as I could, and I couldn't stand up. Stand up, I start walking the hall again. Did it for 17 days. What do you do when you live in a culture that doesn't talk about these issues? Who do you talk to? I'm not going to tell her. She's going to leave me. I thought. I'm not going to tell my elders. They're going to fire me. So you just keep trying to walk it off. I lost 21 pounds in 17 days. People would say to me, Pastor, you look good. Are you working out? I wanted to say, no, I'm throwing up. Because I was. Until finally I'm driving south on 35 toward Fort Worth from Keller. And I said, if I think I'll hit this bridge abutment at 75 miles an hour and she'll never know. My wife will never know I did it on purpose. I know what it's like to convince yourself that the world will be better off without you and to feel like you're out of options. And just the grace of the Lord at the last moment, this picture of imagination, God, whoever, of Micah telling my daughter that dad wouldn't come home, I swerved and missed, but it scared me to death. And it started me on my journey toward freedom because I had to do the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. I had to tell the truth to the one I love the most that I wasn't like I should be. And I spent the next few years in counseling. Uh, learning things about myself and about the way my mind processed things and how I got to some of those dark places. And on the bad days, I would tell my wife, I just need to quit. Our church, it deserves a better pastor than me. And on good days, I would tell her, I'm going to write a book one day. I'm going to travel around the country, and I'm going to tell people. I'm going to give them, here's how you can get free. Like, I was getting free. Because at that moment, to me, free was never having another panic attack. I fired one counselor who told me it was unrealistic to think I'd never have another panic attack. I said, well, then what I need you, you, I know, go find somebody who will fix me. That was my picture at that moment. And over time, God began to shape and change my life. He used lots of things along the way. One of the things he used for me, I called a pastor friend, an older guy one day, and said, I'm struggling. Can you tell me something I can do to break the cycle? And he said, well, go online and search for the 40 I am's. And I found the 40 I am's were all over the internet. There are 40 statements from the Bible about who God says that you are. And he said, get some, get some index cards and write them out by hand and go in your backyard and say them out loud, which made me feel really weird. But desperation is highly underrated. And so I went to the Walgreens across the street and I bought these 40 cards. And I wrote out word for word that I am doing all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am a son of God. I'm an heir to the blessing of Abraham. I'm delivered from the powers of darkness. Sometimes I would scream, man. People said, well, which ones do you pick? I picked the ones that were hardest for me to believe. It's not hypocrisy, my friends. That's faith. To let what you know to control what you feel. 
And if, you, if I could hand them to you today, they're covered in snot and tears and dirt and disappointment and victory sometimes. I just think it's better than a fidget spinner and a weighted blanket because it reminds me of who I am. Our faith is verbal. You guys love to worship today, not because these guys were awesome. They were, but because we're all verbally saying things that are true about God and about ourselves. And so over the next few years, we started building a ton of these tools. But I still believed the lie. I think the one I held on to the most was the lie that, uh, that God's plan for my life was always going to be progressively positive. Like when God was in it, I'd have a victory story from the past, and then here's what would happen. You, you know, if you're breathing, you believe. If you're breathing, God has a plan for your life, a calling on your life to make a difference wherever you live. When I say calling, don't think about working at a church. Please don't go work at a church. We need you out in the marketplace, taking the light of Jesus wherever you are, in your schools, wherever you live. But sometimes we make a plan for how that calling is going to play out, and we forget when it doesn't go up and to the right, we forget that it was God's calling and our plan. Like we mix up the plan with God's call. And I was getting frustrated. I wasn't, I wasn't yet understanding what freedom really was, and God wasn't bringing me the healing that I wanted. I was preach, I went to India in front of 8,000 pastors and told my story and asked anyone that wanted to stand up and get prayed for, prayed over all of them, started getting hundreds of emails from them that they felt this lifting off of their life. And I'm the dude doing the praying and I get zilcho, right? But see, God works in all things to bring about good, even my struggle. And when I finally began to realize that it was God's plan to use my weakness and not my strength, everything in my world began to change. Not around me, but within me. This is my heart for you. And so the 20th anniversary of our church, a big celebration, they wanted me to write a book about the things that I had learned on my journey. And I didn't want to do it. Who wants to write a book on paper about wanting to run into a bridge abutment, the negative thoughts? I, who, who wants to do that? But the Holy Spirit, my wife, told me I was going to, and so I did. It's called Not Yet. Uh, and it was just the things I learned. The problem was I, we couldn't finish it because... The publisher that was helping me said the last chapter has to be really good. How many of you know that somebody tells you it has to be really good? Probably is gonna, you're going to struggle. And I kept thinking about a salmon fish. Y'all know salmon in the Pacific Northwest swims upstream. All the people of my generation go, yeah, we remember that. And all the kids are like, what is that? But that was the picture I had. So I went to my research assistant, Google, and put in... What's another fish like a salmon fish? And I learned about a goby fish in Hawaii. Found only off the big island. This species is unique because it swims from the ocean water up waterfalls and mountain streams to the top of these mountain pools and lives the second half of its life in the freshwater. But check this out, everybody. As it's swimming, I saw the pictures, it bottom, its bottom jaw grows out. Why? So it can get more suction on the rocks to get to the top. 
And I read that story and said, well, that's my life. The very thing I have been avoiding is the very thing God wants to use to shape and change me. And help me step into my destiny. And here's the thing. There's not a day goes by I don't ask for God to take this from me. But I don't need him to do it for me to believe that he's real and for me to walk in faith. And I'm a little worried, John, about who I might be if this hasn't been my battle. Maybe to keep me from becoming conceited and so driven. God was going to make me aware of how desperate I was for him all the time. So we finished the book and we launched it on our birthday in the last week of the series. Nobody knew what I was going to do. And I told them I was still thinking about it, which was code for I hadn't figured it out yet. So I went back to my friend Google and I put in how to draw a fish. And I spent a day learning how to draw a cartoon fish. And I called our creative team and I said, I need five boards up on the stage this week. Well, why? Well, because I'm going to tell the story of a little goby fish. Well, what are you going to call it? I said, well, my name's Toby. It's a goby. Sounds like Jesus to me. Let's call it Toby the goby. And so this is the, this is the actual board. This, I told this story of this little fish who learned three things. Number one, that he learned, I can do hard things because God is with me. See, my generation got raised by dads who said, don't be a baby. Quit being a baby, rub some dirt on it, get over it. We know how damaging that was, so this generation is overreacting by saying, oh, you poor baby. You don't need to go to school today, you poor baby. You had a hard night. You don't need to take care of that. You've, you've been struggling a little bit. Look, man, I am not my anxiety. I am a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am a conqueror because that's who God says I am. We need to raise a generation of kids who understand who they are. Let them know that, yeah, it is hard, but you can do hard things since God is with you. But you have to, number two, keep your eyes on the sun. And number three, how about you help others along the way? You, part of your healing is helping others along the way. Well, my daughter, so I told the story and we did the series and they loved it. And then next week, our church closed down for the pandemic. Well, I have a daughter-in-law who is a gifted, noted graphic artist, and her dream since she was a kid had been to illustrate a kid's book, and she had some time, and I had some time, and so we wrote this book called Toby the Goby. And guess what? We rewrote the 40 I Am's for kids and put them in the back of the book. And we actually, in written form, do for kids what Google did for me on that video. We teach them how to draw the fish. And we put a bunch of tools together that have worked in my life that I've used with my kids and my grandkids. And we traveled the country helping parents find practical ways to connect God's power to the very real issues of anxiety, depression, and feeling overwhelmed that kids are facing. And that was not my plan. I wrote a book for adults. I want to get set free. <laughs> and God said, I'm going to use all things. 
for the good, those who love me and called according to my purposes. And the book went crazy. People go, you're so strategic to write this book. I had no, yeah, that, I'm strategic. 28 years ago, I tried to run into a bridge knowing this day was coming. It's ridiculous. It's just God, right? And we found a Harvard study that said that the number one indicator of a child's mental wellness, guess what it is? It's the mental wellness of their parents. I went, oh, I get it. My heart to help adults is going to be found by helping their kids find strength. And so we travel the world doing the country doing this. We just released it in South America, Costa Rica. We're going to release it with, by God's grace and help by the end of this year in Hindi and India. We're talking to people about releasing it in seven different dialects of Farsi in the Middle East. Uh, just doors that are open. Look, man, I'm, I'm telling you all that to say this. Look at me. Who would have ever dreamed that God would let me do this stuff if he wants to use a broke down anxiety filled guy like me? God wants to use you too. The whole secret to this deal is you just keep swimming. You just keep believing. You keep moving forward. You keep reminding yourself and others, you can do hard things because God is with you. You force yourself to get your eyes up. And you help other people, even when you're not there yet. Because it's in your helping that you get there. And God breathes on it. So I'm getting the rest of my days. Because I want to show you one little picture as we close. This is my oldest, this is my seven-year-old grandson. Who's wired just like his papa. Who's an overthinker. And beside him are the 440 IMs that he chose, the children's version that he printed out for himself. And in some ways, like my life has come full circle. This is my legacy. Because he's not walking alone like I did thinking I was going to drown. And like we sang at the end of this, he's got a solid foundation to move forward in. Because that's how God works in our lives, people. And there's somebody God wants you to touch. You just got to keep going. Can I pray for you today? That'd be all right. I just don't think you came to get informed. You can do that on the internet. You came to be transformed today. You want God to breathe on you, right? We, we believe he can do that even in this moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, for seeing more in us than we can see in ourselves. Thank you, Father, for uh, healing and freedom. Well, I pray that you just breathe on the people even now who struggle in this room. I thank you, Lord, that you have created them on purpose, for a purpose. And I pray that you would give them the manna that they need, the bread they need for one more step. Strength for this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's weekend message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.